So I'm going to get going. So if you have your Bible with you, I would like you to turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to launch right into it. I like to, to get into God's Word, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to see something tremendously important uh, that really will follow up on our life abiding in the vine. So y'all got it? Follow along with me. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now that they have no excuse for their sin, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled, they hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the power and the gravity of your word, I thank you, God, that you don't leave us clueless. But you tell us what to expect. God, this morning we want to know you. We want to know you intimately. And God, I thank you that you have given us your word as the place where we can truly know you. I pray, God, that you would help me to speak with clarity. To be led by your Spirit. And that the Word would continue the work of sanctification in us. If there be someone here this morning, Father, that does not know you, I pray that these words would pierce their heart. And the Spirit would draw them to the place of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all doing all right? 
Isn't it great to like hear all of these announcements? This, the life of the church is so bright, vibrant and strong. And as I was listening to Tina, I was thinking about all of these ways, uh, you know, like we've, we've been talking, this conversation is about the vine and branches on the vine. And it's like the branches are just not hanging out by themselves. Like that would be a sad, that would be like one of those Charlie Brown trees. Right, But we're such a vibrant tree full of branches. Each individual is right, but we, we corporately make up a whole. We're all connected. Uh, through the vine, we're all connected to one another. Isn't that awesome? So 460 years ago, it would have been the year 1563, there was this guy, he was a clergyman, he was a theologian, and he was truly a historian, and it's probably for that that he's most widely known. His name was John Fox. Has anybody ever heard of John Fox? Yeah, so John Fox penned uh, a classic, and this was the name of it. Acts and monuments of these latter and perilous times, touching matters of the church. Quite a title, right? So that book that he wrote would later... Uh, and still is in publication today, these 460 years later, and we call it Fox's Book of Martyrs. Have you ever heard of it? If you, don't, if you haven't heard of it, or if you'd like to take a look at it, I have a copy of it, so I will gladly let you look at it. But in this book, uh, John Fox was living during the age of the Inquisitions. So his day was seeing a tremendous amount of persecution of the church. So the Protestant movement was, was new. Uh, Mary had just had, was, was about to come on the throne, and so he, or she had come on the throne, and so he was seeing the hatred spilled out on people that he loved, and he wrote this book to chronicle the history of persecution throughout the church history. So he started there with the stoning of Stephen. And if you remember in the book of Acts, like somebody that we revere so much, the apostle Paul, was there. He, in fact, they laid their garments down at Saul's feet as they stoned Stephen to death. So John Fox begins there with Saul, and he goes all the way up into the inquisitions of his day, and he tells the story of believers who have experienced an aspect of abiding in the vine that we seldom even consider or think about or mention. In fact, in today's culture of Christianity, a lot of times it's all but denied. Abiding in the vine. I remember, I was thinking about this song that we used to sing. Maybe some people my age will remember it. I know Pastor Tim, you will remember. Abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine. Love, joy, health, peace. All of these are mine. And we would sing it, and then we would say, I got prosperity, power, and victory. Abiding, abiding in the vine. Y'all remember that one? All right, so I'm not Stephen. And I thought about that song. 
I've got prosperity. I've got power. I've got victory. And in light of our text, it seems a little weak, does it not? 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Albert Barnes, great theologian, maybe you've heard of the Barnes Bible Commentary, he said this, it has become a settled principle that nothing which is good and true can be destroyed by persecution. Can I read that line again? Because I'm a man of few words. It has become a settled principle that nothing which is good and true can be destroyed by persecution, but that the effect ultimately is to establish more firmly and to spread more widely that which it was designed to overthrow. It has long since passed into a proverb that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So last week, Pastor Ben introduced this concept of branchology 101. So I, in staff meeting, I said, well, maybe this will be like branchology 202. Or, so, but here's the thing about when you see 101, that's a college-level course, all right? So when we say branchology 101, he's not, this is not a kindergarten class. You're not in kindergarten today, all right? So I want you to really, really think about that. Uh, the writer of Hebrews would say to us that anybody who has a steady diet of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. This is not milk. What type of uh, pastors will we be if all we gave you was milk? This is solid meat messages. 101, 202, we'll, we'll go up to four, uh, 475. I taught that one. So. College level classes, because here's what the writer said in Hebrews 5 and 14. He said, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. See, I'm not asking you to become a professional theologian. This is not seminary. This is not Bible college. But I am asking you to embrace maturity. Let us endeavor to grow up in the Lord. Amen? And that's going to take a diet of meat. So here's the meat. Are you ready for this? This is the meat of our text. Mature Christians know that our position in Christ does not shield us from the hostility of this world. We will experience 
hatred. We will experience slander. We will experience ridicule. And yes, sometimes physical harm and even death. But a postmodern philosophy colors many of our churches. And a false gospel promises prosperity and pristine health and itching ears love a watered-down gospel. I'm preaching to the church this morning. It's a lie. (laughs) Living long enough and walking this walk long enough to know it's a lie. Good people die. The willies of this world die. Tragically. Does that make our God any less good? It does not. Perilous times are upon us. So in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If the world doesn't hate you, something might be wrong. You might need to get off the milk and start eating some meat. So today, we're serving solid food. Okay, everybody good with that? All right, because, I mean, we even serve solid food over there with the kids. We're serving solid food. So the first thing is this. Branches will experience intense hatred from the world because of the vine. It's not because of ourselves, but if you're abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine, if you're abiding in the vine, you will experience intense hatred. Hatred. They don't like us. The world does not like us. The church, I mean, look at verse 17. Pastor Ben finished up with this last week. These things I command you so that you will love one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. That is, our char- that is the character of the church. We are to be a people of love. This is how they're going to know you, my disciples, by your love for one another. We're known for our love, but the world is known for its hatred. It's known for its hatred. What a contrast. If the world hates you, you will love one another. If the world hates you. The world is mentioned six times in these first two verses of our text this morning. We're talking about the organized system of Satan's domain. In fact, in 1 John 5 and 19, John says in that little epistle, we know that we are from God. But then he says this, the whole world, the whole world, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's what we're dealing with. 
a world, an organized system that is ruled by Satan. And Satan hates. It's his very character to hate. His moral compass is set on hate. Why? Is it pride? Is it envy? Is it jealousy? I believe there's a little bit of all of that. But if you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And let's go back to beginning things. And we will see that at the fall, God had a little word for the serpent. And these are the words he said, I will put enmity. That word enmity is so strong. It, it's not just hate, but it's intense hatred. Intense hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman. God, now picture this. God is speaking to the serpent who has just had a part in deceiving Adam and Eve and causing them to tragically fall and rebel against God. And God speaks to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And thus launches the history that we see all throughout the Bible. So it starts with a curse on Satan from God for his part in the deception and rebellion of Adam and Eve. This intense hatred. God says, I will put intense hatred between you and the woman. And we see this hatred developing throughout the biblical narrative. From the very outset, we see the goal is that Satan would destroy the woman's seed. And we see seed fighting seed. The seed of the promise fighting the seed of the flesh. And we see Cain slaying his brother Abel. Right from the outset, the intense hatred is seen. And we see it throughout the Old Testament narrative. We see it, Satan getting into a family and destroying a family and causing brothers to take their 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 brother and cast him into a pit wanting to kill him i'm talking about joseph his brothers threw him in a pit such hatred and then in one moment of clarity they say well let's just sell him and so they saw and so here is joseph and satan's trying to destroy the seed because this is god's chosen people and so here is Joseph ending up in Egypt, and Potiphar's wife is, is still, there's, there's hatred. Uh, she lies. Why? To destroy him, and we see it over and over and over again. We see it, Babylon, taking God's people captive and bringing them into enslavement. And we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, intense hatred. And we see Daniel thrown into the lion's den, intense hatred. And then we see uh, stories like Pharaoh destroying babies just to get at Moses. Why? Because Satan is trying to destroy the seed. Intense hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman's seed. And that seed, my brothers and sisters, is not us. It's Jesus Christ. 
and it opens up right away in the New Testament. We see the same conflict, the same hatred from the very outset in a man named Herod, ordering that all children would be slaughtered. Hatred, intense hatred. And in our text in John 15, we are hours away from the hour of darkness. We're hours away from the place of the skull. We're hours away from Golgotha. We're hours away from Calvary. And Satan fights on. And today, even though he was defeated, he fights on. And we're warned, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Not because of us, but because of the vine. Because of Jesus. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, brothers and sisters, but principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a cosmic battle. And we will see the conflict or the, the climax of that conflict in John's revelation when we see the dragon thrown, chained and thrown once and for all into the lake of fire. So the greatest, the hour of greatest light, listen, this is a paradox. The hour of greatest light is about to meet the hour of greatest darkness. And light always triumphs. And Jesus in the upper room, he's giving a warning. He's giving a warning. Darkness is coming. Brothers, I want you to be prepared. And he draws battle lines. In chapter 14, when it closed, it said, rise, rise, let us go from here. That's military language. In the original, in the original Greek, it's, when he says rise, it's like a military command. It's a call to arms. Rise, let us go from here. There's no gray areas in this conflict. I'm sorry. There's no gray areas. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's no gray zone. There's no sitting on the fence. And even today, although the Korean conflict has been over for, what, 70 years, 60 years, there's still a demilitarized zone, a no-man's land between North and South Korea. And it's loaded down with landmines. And it's supposed to be a, a place where, where you, can, you can get in, in there and, and it's, new, it's a neutral ground. There is no neutrality in this cosmic battle, in this eternal battle. There is no neutrality. There is no DMZ. You're either with me or, you're or you scatter. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. I want to tell you that this morning, you're like, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I'm neutral. No, you're not. You're not. You're not at peace with God. And I'm not talking about kumbaya peace. I'm talking about the kind of peace that is the cessation of conflict. You're either with me 
or you're against me, and whoever does not gather with me, if you're not gathering with him, you're scattering. You see, by nature, branches inevitably are caught up in this war. You and I inevitably are caught up in this war. He's soon to be defeated, just hours away. Satan is hours away from being defeated, but he will fight until the end, until the great white throne, God banishes him to the fire of hell forever. So they hate us because of Jesus. The world hates Christians because of Jesus. Why? There's a lot of reasons why, but I will say this. Jesus exposes sin. The truth exposes sin. Jesus exposes sin, right? Look at at, uh, verse 22 there. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And look at verse 24. He says in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. The Son of God is with them. He's performing all of these miracles. The the Word made flesh is teaching them and preaching to them. And that increases responsibility and guilt. (laughs) In fact, I would say just the fact that you are sitting underneath the teaching of God's word this morning, if you respond wrongly, it is increasing your responsibility and your guilt. Weighty messes is just not. Y'all liking the meat? All right. All right, so... Matthew 11 and verse 20, Jesus says, uh, He began to denounce the cities where most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And you, Capernaum, in verse 23, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So, as light increases and rejection increases, guilt increases. Jesus exposes our sin. Does Jesus expose your sin? He's exposed my sin already today. He exposes our sin, and that's so offensive. People don't like to be told that kind of stuff. They'd much rather hear God has a wonderful plan for your life, and he does. But it might not be what you think it is. It may involve some tough days and some hard realities. Amen? But Jesus exposes our sin, and he exposes the world's sin, and that's an offensive message. And it causes people to rise up defensively. How dare you tell me what I can do and what I can't do? 
I'm the boss of me. And they hate him. John 7 and 7, Jesus said, he was speaking to his brothers. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. I call a spade a spade, and they hate me. John 3 and verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. See, abiding branches taste this hatred from the vine. We feel this and taste this hatred because of our position as branches in the vine. He is going to see us through it. And that's what he's telling his disciples. Hey, I want you to be warned. The world hates you. No, it hated me first. It, it hates you because it hates me. But I'm going to see you through it. But for us to fail to anticipate opposition is to fail to understand the nature of the abiding life. Can I say that again? To fail to anticipate opposition, church, is to fail to understand the nature of an abiding life. See, uh, I, I read a quote in my, in my uh, studies. It said that the pattern of the early church was one of blessings and beatings. So, we have to expect and we have to anticipate hatred from the world because we are not of the world. He has chosen us out of the world. He said, come out from among them. Be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. He's called us out of this world. We are in perfect unity with him as abiding branches. We are engaged in a spiritual war that began at the outset of our history. And his message, the message that we proclaim, is an offensive message. But wait, I got some exciting news. So we look at our second point. And that is that branches are empowered by the spirit of truth. We will bear witness to the vine. So look at verse 26. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. You have been with me from the beginning. So he gives this warning, hey, the world's going to hate you. It hated me first. Expect, anticipate opposition. Expect, don't, don't like... Don't be surprised when people don't like you. They don't like the fact that you came to Christ. When me and Bonnie were in Japan, we had one of our mentors was Del and Sachiko. Sachiko was Japanese Buddhist, Shinto Buddhist. She married a Christian and she converted. She gave her heart to the Lord. She was a beautiful woman of God. Her family shunned her. They never spoke to her again. She gave 
She gave up her family for Christ. And she she gained a richer family. She was a blessing to us. But I know the pain that she felt from the intense hatred of her community towards her for her faith in Christ. So there's a warning, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, brothers and sisters. We are called. We are called by God to a greater person, and he equips the called. That's what this this second point is all about, God equipping the called. How can we bear witness to Jesus in the face of such hostility? The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth, the parakletos, the helper. The helper will come. He will bear witness to Jesus Christ. The The disciples will bear witness to Christ Jesus. The spirit of truth will come. God equips us. So this is not just a promise. It's a promise. You can count on it. But it's also a prophecy. So Jesus is issuing not just a promise, but a prophecy. Because it was truly fulfilled just a little over a month later on the day of Pentecost. Right? When God poured out his spirit on those disciples who were gathered to pray. And on that day, underneath the power of the spirit of truth, Peter, oh, Peter, who denied the Lord three times, and ended up a coward, stood up boldly and preached with unction the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 souls were saved that day. It was a prophecy fulfilled. Peter, a fisherman. A fisherman. You would call him, they would call him an unlearned man. I don't know. I mean, they, even the girl said, your speech betrays you. You can tell, like, you can tell somebody's, like, the speech where they're from. So she could tell where he was from. Oh, that's one of those fishermen from Pornishan. Right? Like, and somebody from Pornishan has a different accent than somebody from Grand Isle or from Galliano. Galliano? I don't know. They say it a little different. But so he was a fisherman. But this, he was not a theologian. He had spent three years plus underneath the teaching of Jesus Christ, but the end result was he ran away. In the hour of darkness, he ran away, but now the Spirit has come. The Spirit of truth had come, and he boldly proclaims the Word of God. In fact, I love what Peter says in the little epistle, 2 Peter 1 and verse 16. Listen listen to the, the words of a transformed Disciple, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
He was there. He saw it all. And watch this. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but watch this, but men spoke from God how as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter spoke differently that day because he was carried along from that point on by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come. He empowered Peter to bear witness. He called him from nets, fishing nets at the outset. And the Holy Spirit had been with Jesus from the beginning too. In fact, you remember Jesus goes down in the water. He's baptized and the dove descends on him. And God said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. But the Spirit was with him before that. Spirit was with him at conception, right? I mean, he even walks into the room and John the Baptist is in his mama's belly and the babe leaps. But he was with the Holy Spirit before that. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He says, and I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. Now, look at the tenses here, right? This sending is future. I'm going to send. It hasn't been done. It hasn't been done yet. That's the prophecy. I'm going to send you. Brothers and sisters, it's been done. It's no longer prophecy. The prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. He has sent his spirit. But here he's saying, I'm going to send my spirit. And it, that happened on the day of Pentecost. But then he said, the spirit of truth that what? Proceeds. Watch the, the tense there. That's a present tense. He proceeds. He proceeds right now. It's not, he's not going to proceed. He proceeds now. The tense is different. So you see that it, literally he always proceeds from the Father. The spirit of truth always proceeds from the Father. This is good stuff. This is good meat. This is deep meat. This is filet mignon, y'all. All right? This is not milk. They know Jesus. They, they have an intimate knowledge of Jesus. Things are going to get tough, guys. It's going to get tough. But listen, you see me? You see the Father. You see me? You see the Father. You know me? You know the Father. We exist face to face. And the spirit of truth ever proceeds from my Father. The spirit of truth ever proceeds from your Father. The spirit of truth proceeds. And I, I, Jesus, I will send the spirit to you, disciples, and to you, believers in Jesus Christ. I will send the spirit to you. This is such a rich teaching on the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Only God can send God. <laughs> Only God can send God. He says, I will send the spirit of truth to you. He will bear witness in the midst of the hate. In the midst of all the hate you're going to experience, the spirit of truth bears witness to Jesus. Not to us, 
but to Jesus. He will do it through you. Isn't that awesome? He did it through Peter, and he will do it through us. It won't be easy. It's not going to be easy, guys. Expect it, anticipate it, but you will have a parakletos. You will have a helper. So we must expect and anticipate hatred from the world, but he's going to empower us by the Holy Spirit to face it. And as Paul would say, finally, my brethren. Now, finally, my brethren means I'm about to wrap it up. But I have to warn you, Sometimes when Paul says, finally, brethren, he goes on for like four more chapters. I never could, never could figure Paul out. But finally, brethren, branches, despite intense opposition, are appointed by the vine to bear abiding fruit. Branches, despite intense opposition, are appointed by the vine to bear abiding fruit. So we see in John 5, or John 15 and verse 8, but this... By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And then in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Why does Jesus bring this up now? Why is he bringing this whole hate thing up now, we're well, looking John 16 and verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Satan desires, just as he did Peter, to sift us. But Jesus' desire is that we would stand strong and firm, and that we would not fall away. So he says, and he warns them. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I'm reminded of Paul once again. He was Saul then. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. See, Jesus' word is, was like an anchor at that moment to the disciples. They might, they, they, it was probably hard for them to re receive everything he was saying then, but they would remember it later. And we have it recorded for us today, and it's like this anchor for us. And that's, the anchor says, trust me. It's going to be hard, but trust me. Bear, bear witness, no matter what, no matter the hate, no matter the ridicule, no matter the slander, no matter what they do to you, no matter how they censure you, bear witness no matter what. You are not alone. The Helper will be with you. Abide in the vine. And as we abide in the vine... Ultimately, because of what Jesus just shared, we ultimately abide in the Holy Trinity. And in this light, all opposition shrinks. Amen? History records that these men, these 
11 did not shrink. In fact, just as Jesus told them, they went to all nations. They went to all nations and they bore witness. They gave their lives. And they gave us this book. What a gift. And Fox's Book of Martyrs records each one of their deaths. And in Acts 1 and 8, he told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth until one day you show up in a little place called Shriver, Louisiana. In 1553, Mary came to power in England. We call her Bloody Mary because of the blood that she shed. Over 300 died for their Protestant faith during that period. It was a period of intense martyrdom. Among those was a man named Hugh Latimer, another named Nicholas Ridley, and another named Thomas Cranmer. John Fox talks about their martyrdom. Latimer and Ridley were ordered to be executed outside the city gate of Oxford. As they were going out, they shouted encouragement towards Thomas Cranmer. Latimer, with his last breath, uttered these famous words. Listen. He said, be of good comfort. He's in the fire. He's, he's, he's bound to a stake, being burned to death. And he says, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. I could see Jesus shouting. Thomas Cranmer was the Archbishop of Canterbury under Henry VIII. He's generally regarded as the founder of English Protestantism. He was in prison when Bloody Mary ascended to the throne. Uh, and while he was imprisoned, he was tortured, brainwashed, and later recanted his faith in Christ. But they marched him to execution anyway. But they, they, they were going to put him before the church and have him publicly denounce his faith in Christ. But to everyone's surprise, Cranmer seized that opportunity instead to proclaim his faith in Jesus Christ. And they were shocked, and they could not get up there fast enough to pull him away from the podium, from the pulpit, and they led him immediately to the stake. And as he stood before the flames, John Fox records this. He stretched forth into the fire the hand 
that he had used to sign previously a recantation of his faith. And he said, for as much as my hand offended, writing contrary to my heart, my hand shall first be punished for it. He was heard to repeat the words of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So yes, brothers and sisters, the world will hate us. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but love them anyway. Love them anyway. And don't be surprised. And I close with this quote from William Secker, Puritan uh, theologian, as he uses a metaphor of believers resembling the moon. He says, believers resemble the moon, which emerges from her eclipse by keeping her motion and ceases not to shine because the dogs bark at her. That's all we are. Our light is just a reflection of the Son of God. Amen? Let us not cease to shine simply because the dogs are barking.